0: But you know what they say about Bibles with pages. It is a sign of sanctification. And these screens are not high def and they're not 4K. But they work most of the time. Uh, When I was growing up, there was this this, uh, show that came on TV. It was a cartoon, actually. It was called Masters of the Universe, but it was more famously known as He-Man. You just called it He-Man because He-Man was a dude in it. Does anybody in here know what He-Man is? Okay, you can put your hand down. kind of makes you weird, but it's okay. I'm right there with you. Anyway, so what happens is he manages this regular dude named Prince Adam. He's kind of soft. You can beat him up in a fight even though he looks kind of swole with a shirt on. But anyway, when he would get mad or he'd have to go fight somebody, he'd get pull out the sword and he would scream, I have the power. And all of a sudden, he looks kind of like me, just, just deadly. Maybe a little bit taller, though. And he was a little bit more tan than I am. Anyway, and he, was just, he just had all the power, obviously. That's what he yelled. And then lightning struck him, and he was massive. Um, but anyway, he could beat up anybody in a fight. I don't want you, I don't want you bragging about has anybody in here been in an actual fight? I don't want you to brag. Okay, put your hand down. If you have multiple times, you know what it's like to get hit hard in the face. You know what it's like to get hit really hard. You can't, you cannot mentally prepare to be hit in the face until you get hit in the face. Is this not true? It is true. Um, was it Mike Tyson that said everybody who has a plan until they get hit in the mouth? I think that was Mike Tyson. Which is for, if he said that, that's phenomenal. Because he was not a very smart man. But that's a very smart saying. I'm going to be honest with you. It has been a long time since I've got hit in the face. Most of you were not born the last time that I got into a physical altercation and got hit in the face. I'm now pre-Jesus. It happened a whole lot. That was B.C., though. Um, after Jesus... That's not happening. Um, One reason this nose has been broke so many times. But about four days ago, I got hit in the face for the first time in many, many years. Let me explain. You can laugh at this. I'm not going to take it personal. Anyway, when I got hit, I got hit right here in this ear. As I was struck, I almost got knocked out. And if look, there's this thing. If you're a dude, you do not want to get knocked out in a fight. I'm assuming if you're a girl, you don't want to get knocked out in a fight either. But I got hit so hard, like I kind of like stumbled this way. And then I caught myself. And I had to lean over like this for a while. Try not to throw up. And then I realized I was not going to get knocked out. And when I, went, I put my hand like this, I have blood just like pouring out of my right ear. I'm pretty sure that my eardrum is messed up to a degree. Um, now, I would have turned and fought back. And I feel like I would have won because the dude didn't knock me out. The only problem... The arm that hit me was a massive arm. It looked like a mixture of Rocky and Rambo. You would just call them Sylvester Stallone. But when I finally found the hand that had hit me, it was my right hand. My right, this, it is is still sore. And I used the proper knuckles, but it is still sore. I hit myself so hard in my right ear the other day that blood was pouring out of it. I almost knocked myself out. I was both excited and mad at the same time. I was excited because I can still get hit really hard and not get knocked out. I was mad because I could not knock myself out. I didn't know what I needed to do. But I knew that I needed some attention. So after I knew I wasn't going to fall over walking back to my house, I had to think of a story to tell my wife, Mo, of why I was bleeding out of my ear and why it looked like I got punched. I thought about just saying, somebody drove up in the yard, four guys jumped out. Only two of them are still alive. <laughs> but, see, I'm trying, to, I'm trying not to lie anymore. So I said, baby, I'm going to tell you something. You might not believe me, but I'd prefer you not tell anybody. I just punched myself in the ear, and I'm bleeding out of it profusely. I need you to check it. She didn't believe me until I turned around, there was, like, blood like hanging down the side of my face. But I felt the power of this fist, and it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I would love to explain to you how that happened, but I'm not going to. I want you to wonder how that happened. I've had a headache for four days. It's been wonderful. But power, that's what we're talking about in these 17 verses tonight. Jesus is displaying his power. He's not punching himself in the face. He's not punching anyone else in the face except maybe the devil. Not sure. We'll find out in a minute. But... I hope that you never punch yourself in the face. And if you do, I hope that you have the courage to tell people in public one day. But here we are. If you are a slow flipper, you should be here by now. I'm going to read the 17 verses that I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about them, and we are going to roll on. Sound like a plan? Yes, it does. It starts this way. Remember, where we left off, Jesus had just preached the greatest message ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. He is coming down from the Mount amongst the people now. And this is what it says. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leopard, not a leopard, not the animal, a person who has leprosy. Some of you were picturing a very fast animal running in their head. Came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. And then it goes on in verse 5. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, a short walk, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home and suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. That's what Jesus said. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servants, do this, and he does it. And when This is verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and from the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in the place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion said to Jesus, Go let it be done, for you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. In verse 14, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law... Lying sick with a fever. This is not Jesus' mother-in-law. This is Peter's mother-in-law. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with the word. And he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and he bore our disease. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, it never returns void. It is everlasting. It is powerful. God, you brought this group of people together for a reason here tonight. God, let us see the truths in this word that still last for us today. God, I pray that you will remove sin. God, you will remove those things that are blinding us to who we really are and our need for you. God, let us quit playing games. And take hold of the faith that you've given us. Or that you have extended to us. Father what you want to give we receive and we receive what you want to give. Jesus we exalt your name because it is powerful. It's the only name that can save. So Holy Spirit do what you can do. Give us eyes to see you ears to hear you and hearts that are ready to believe. God please save. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to break this down into three sections. The first one's going to be verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to go 5 through 13 and then 14 through 17. So this is going to be easy, breezy, beautiful, cover girl. I don't think that commercial comes on anymore. But somebody laughed at it, so maybe it they, they does. But anyway, first thing I want to look at is verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. I love verse 1. Because obviously, Jesus just preached the greatest message ever. So what this tells me, when you preach good, people just flop to you. Just f- flop to you like a professional athlete. Eventually, I'm going to preach good and people are going to flock to me on a Wednesday night when I walk down from here. Just kidding, don't ever do that. Um, but it's awesome. Like Jesus preached the gospel and people responded. You can preach all kinds of messages, But if you preach the gospel, it's going to change people. It is going to make them curious about Jesus. So he preaches and people flock to him. And then it says, And a leper came to him and knelt before him. Like we've discussed what a leper is before in this room. But for some of you who may not have been here in the past, what a leper is, it is a person who has this disease called leprosy. What leprosy does is it attacks your skin and your nervous system. After you have had it for quite some time, like, Parts of your body just start to fall off. Like your hair falls out, your teeth fall out, your nose falls off, your fingers fall off. Possibly a big toe, possibly a pinky toe. Maybe just like this part of your arm. They call you nubby. I don't know. Like you start losing parts of you. And I would say that it's extremely painful, but it's not. Because it attacks your nervous system so that you can't feel things anymore. So, like, you could get your finger ripped off and not even know it. And some of your friends would be like, hey, you're missing a finger. don't know how long I've been missing it. Which would be inconvenient. Especially if it's like your ring finger and you lost your ring, too. That would really suck. But anyway, this dude, when you have leprosy, there's this thing that happens. That thing that happens is you get kicked out of town. Like we, don't, we can't really imagine this because we live in the great suburb of Cleo, Mississippi. This is actually not a suburb. It is a very well spread out community. But what would happen, back in the day, they lived inside these cities. And these cities had walls around them. One, because the walls kept you safe. And the other, you knew if you were inside the city or outside the city. It's very convenient. Like entering a Jones County sign. But when you got leprosy, they gave you the boot. They're like, mm. they kicked you out of town. You had to live outside the wall. It's not cool to live outside the wall. There's no internet no cable, probably no running water, which means there's no toilets and you can imagine what happens there. Probably only one piece of toilet paper, and I've explained to some of you how that works. It's inconvenient like you get pushed out. You 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 have no more, you no longer have any kind of relationships. You guys need to stop laughing. This is a serious moment we're talking about Jesus. Imagine getting like kicked out of the city. Like you can't hang out with your parents, you can't hang out with your friends. You can't hang out with anybody except the other people who have leprosy hanging out outside. You can't wave at each other because you're missing your hand. (laughs) It's a terrible life. Like you got nothing to do. At all. Like you become an outcast. Like literally you are cast out of the city. Not outcast the, the band from the late 90s and early 2000s. But the worst part of it is like you can't worship Because you get kicked out of the city, you can't come into the temple. You cannot worship. Like, we take being able to come here and worship for granted. Because we can come anytime we want. Like, literally. I'm here all the time. You could just show up and we could just make this happen. But these people, they were not allowed to come and worship anymore. And anytime people would come around, they would have to yell, unclean, 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 so people would stay away. But for some reason... This dude has busted up into the crowd. He's like, hey, they can just kill me. I don't care. And he falls down at the feet of Jesus. But see, the thing about leprosy, it's not just a physical disease that attacks your body, but it, is, it takes a toll, a toil, a toil. It, it does not do good for you on your emotions. Because imagine being ripped away from everything and everybody that you love. For some of us in here at sports, you're not playing those anymore. For some of us it's video games, not that's not happening. For some of us, it's music, not happening. Like you're torn away from everything. Just think about the emotional distress that's going to cause. And we are touching people. Like we like to be close to one another. Even people are like, don't touch me. They like to be around people. Imagine going, I don't know how long this guy's had leprosy. But imagine going weeks, months, years without touching the people that you love. No hugs, no high fives and side hugs, no handshakes. Like, people they, they love is on the other, some of, some of you don't need to be touching, that's all I'm saying. But these people have somebody that they love on the other side of the wall and they can't be around them. Like, if I imagine that with my girls, I'm getting a little nauseous right now thinking about it. To know that they're over there and I could go over there, but I can't because it's going to kill them if I do. So this dude knows that his only hope is Jesus. So he busts through the crowd and he falls in front of them. And this is what he says, and I think it's phenomenal. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, God, if you can. Because if you get leprosy back in the day, you're going to die. There's no, there's no cure for it. But he's not, he doesn't say, Jesus, if you can. He says, Jesus, I know that you can. It's only a matter of if you're willing to heal me or not. Because in their day, they believed that only God could heal people from leprosy. Like, you're not going to pop a cup of Tylenol and Motrin or rub some ointment on it and it go away. So what he is doing is when he says... Jesus, if you're willing, I know that you can. He is professing that Jesus is who he says he is. He's professing that Jesus is God because he has authority or he has power over the sickness that should kill him. And what Jesus does is, it says in Jesus, in verse 3, And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. Look, Jesus only had to say, you be clean and the leprosy would have left. But what he does is Jesus reaches out and he touches him because what he's doing is he's pointing us to the cross. Because, like, if one of you guys had leprosy, which I hope you don't because that would be weird. I was told one time that there was a leper colony in southern Louisiana like 100 years ago. Glad that's closed down, like the zoo in Collins. Um, but, but if one of you had leprosy and I walked up to you and touched you, our, our culture and their culture would say, the leprosy is going to come, you're still going to keep it, but it's going to come from you and infect me as well. So what Jesus is doing in this moment, when he reaches out and he takes hold of this guy in grace, he is symbolizing, I'm going to take your sickness upon me and I'm going to make you whole. And that's exactly what he does for us on the cross. That's exactly what is happening in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You're going to need to write that down because you're going to need to go find it later. But this is what it says. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's what's happening in this verse. This is what it's symbolizing. Jesus is taking hold of this man and his sickness, symbolizing him taking it upon himself like he does us, our sin on the cross. And he makes this dude well. And then he says, I will be clean. And then, verse, the end of verse three is just wild. It says, And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. I don't, I would love to know what this looks like in this moment. Because remember, the dude may not have fingers. Like, does his fingers just, like, start growing back? Because it says the leprosy was cleansed immediately. Like, does his bald head all of a sudden have a luscious head of hair? I don't know. Did the grays go brown again? I don't know. Does his nose grow back? Does he have teeth again? Does he no longer smell? Because rotting skin is going to smell bad. But it says this dude was healed immediately, which... The word is what it says. This dude was broken, fallen apart, unrecognizable, and Jesus made him whole again. And that's what he does for us on the cross. That's what he does for us. When we cry out to God and say, God, we are a sinner, and I know that you can save me, immediately we are made into something completely different. Immediately we are made into a new creature or a new creation. We are transformed by his power on the cross, now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle for a while. That doesn't mean it's going to take us a minute to become more like Jesus. But it does mean the moment that you were saved, you were completely different than you were the moment before. I would have loved to have seen this dude's hands grow back. That would have been awesome. I wish somebody would have wrote those details. But obviously, we didn't need it. And then in verse 4, this is a beautiful thing. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone... The reason Jesus said that, because his time had not come to reveal that he was who he says he was, that he was the Son of God. He says, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. What he's doing is saying, hey, you can go worship now. And you have a reason to worship. Um, For us, it would be you have a reason to sing. That reason is that you once were dead But now you're alive. This dude was dead. He had a death sentence. He was literally rotting to death. But now Jesus says, hey, you go in there and you worship. Because see, what happened is his uncleanliness Or what we could say at his sin was preventing him from being able to worship. And that happens to a lot of us in this room on Wednesdays and Sundays. There are unclean things in our life. There is sin in our life that we are not willing to let go of that is preventing us from being able to worship. I'm not saying it's preventing you from being able to sing. I'm not saying that it's preventing you from being able to raise your hands or for you to pray. But I am saying it is preventing you from being able to worship because you've got some sin or some uncleanliness in your life that you are unwilling to submit to Jesus that you know is killing you on the inside. Like that's such a tragic thing because Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He came to call dead hearts to life but we don't have a reason to worship. We can't worship because we're still holding on to these things that are killing us. And the dude goes and does that. And I just can't get the past, that I, past the point that I think a lot of us, we can't worship because there's sin in our life that we're not willing to get rid of. We're willing to hide the crap out of it. But we're not willing to give it to Jesus. And what that means basically is we're saying, Jesus, I appreciate what you did on the cross, but I'm going to hold on to this. I don't like it that much. What that really means is, Jesus, I love you, but I love this way more. You get an, you want, there's a point in your time, many, 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 many years from now, where you're going to get married. But if you tell the person you're going to marry, hey, I love you, but there's somebody else I love way more, that relationship's not going to stick. Because that's not love at all. It's not love at all. All right, so he heals the leper. Now we're moving on to the centurion. So the leper falls before him. He says, God, if you will, I know that you can. Jesus reaches out. He takes hold of him. He says, leprosy be gone. His hands and all grow back. It is just a fantastic time. The dude gets to go worship. He's got hands to raise now. It's a fantastic time all around. But now Jesus has continued walking. And now a Roman centurion walks up to him. This is the crazy thing about that. Um, Roman soldiers... And Jewish people, they don't get along. They hate each other. Like they'd rather like sword fight or literally sword fight. We don't do that anymore, but just kill each other. So he walks up to Jesus and all the Jewish people are standing around like, what is going on? There's about to be a sword fight. Even though I don't think Jesus was carrying a sword at all. I can assure you he was not. But the dude walks up to him. And he says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, and he is suffering terribly. This tells us something. There is something going on with this Roman soldier that makes him different than the majority of them. Because in Roman society, they did not view servants as people. Like, in the Roman writings, it says the only difference between a servant and a beast is that one of them can talk. Like that's how much they devalued people. But for some reason, there's something compassionate about this guy. He says, hey, my servant back home is paralyzed and he is suffering greatly. Can you, Will you please fix him? Like there's already something going on in this guy's life, not only because he had compassion, but because he approached Jesus in the first place. This dude is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He is not studying the scripture as he's growing up. So what he's done is he has seen Jesus preach this message. He has heard stories about this guy named Jesus. And he knows that there's something different about this man. What he's doing is he is confessing that he must be Lord. Because he's the one who can heal this suffering servant that he has back home. And then it goes on to say this. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And this is where it gets beautiful. Oops. But the centurion replied... Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is a beautiful thing because a lot of us, we think we're way more awesome than we actually are. But this dude who should not have any respect towards Jesus whatsoever says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. And then he says, to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. He's saying, Jesus, I know that you must be the God of the universe, because if you speak it, it is going to happen. There's nobody else who has that kind of authority. There's nobody. And then he says, and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority when soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. Another, come, and he comes. And unto my servant, do this, and he does that. That would be awesome to have that kind of power. I don't have it because I would abuse it. But verse 10 is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. It says, when Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. This is what how Jesus responded. He says, the word says that Jesus marveled and said to those that follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such a faith. Like to marvel means to be astonished or to be amazed. Yes, Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. So he feels all the emotions that we feel. And he sees this man, this, this, this Roman centurion, just like the leper, is an outcast. There is no reason for him to have faith in Jesus. But what he says is, Jesus, if you speak it, it will happen. I know that you have that kind of power. And Jesus is amazed at his faith. And he says... Truly, I tell you, there's no one in Israel I have found such faith. For, for our terms, truly, there is nobody in this church I've seen with that kind of faith. So do you have a kind of faith? Are you living your life with a kind of faith that amazes Jesus? Are you living with you, your life with a kind of faith that astonishes the king of kings? Are you living your life with the kind of faith that Jesus marvels at? Are you living your life with a kind of faith that Jesus can use to change the world? Or are you living with the kind of faith that Jesus is trying really hard to find? Because that's what most of us do. We live with very little faith. Because if we're being honest... A lot of us aren't 100% sure that Jesus really loves us. If we're being honest, some of us aren't really sure that Jesus will keep his promises. If we're being honest, some of us struggle with the assurance of our salvation so much because we're not really sure that Jesus is going to save us when we ask him to. And some of us struggle with sharing the gospel because we really don't believe that Jesus is going to save anybody anyway. Because church is just a game for us. Do you have a kind of faith that Jesus marvels at? Because I've been telling you for years that you're going to change the world, but it's going to take this kind of faith that's going to do it. And it's not faith in your abilities, it's not faith in your potential, it's faith that Jesus is who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Do you have that kind of faith? And the reason that he says, truly I say that no one in Israel has found such a faith is because he's addressing the crowd around him, not the centurion. Because the, 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 the Jewish people, they were supposed to have this kind of faith, but they didn't. And then he starts talking about this weird thing where he says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is heaven isn't just for the Jewish people. Heaven is for anyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus. Heaven is for people who confess that they are a sinner, ask that Jesus will save them, believe that he does, and spend the rest of their lives living in faith that marvels Jesus. And then he talks about, while the sons of the kingdom, or while the people who attend church, will be thrown into outer darkness... In the place where there's no weeping or gnashing of teeth. Jesus just preached the greatest message ever. He just healed a leper. He's about to heal somebody else. But in the middle of it, he starts talking about this place we call hell. Because he what he's saying is there are people. The sons of the kingdom. For us, that's people of the church. Like they study the word. They pray a little bit. They try not to break the big sins. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. They don't have a faith that marvels them. They don't bow before him like the leper did. And this kind of verse is one that should move all of our hearts to survey. Where do we stand before Jesus? Are we just a bunch of religious fools playing a game? Or are we living our lives in a faith with a faith that's going to change the world? And then it goes on to say... And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. This is the same way he reached out and touched the leper and said, Be clean. He says, Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Like Jesus didn't even have to go touch him. Jesus doesn't, he's not making eye contact with him. But he says, You're healed, he is healed, and the dude is, he's fixed. Now, there are going to be some pastors who are terrible at what they do. And they will say that these verses that we're reading say that Jesus doesn't want any of his people to ever be sick or to ever suffer. Obviously, they have not read any other part of the Bible whatsoever. Life is still going to be filled with tragedy. Life is still going to be filled with pain and sickness. This is not heaven. We're just here for a little while we are either going to go home or we're going to go to this place that Jesus is talking about where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and our only way into our house you could say is through the blood of Jesus on the cross and then finishing up in verse 14 it says and when Jesus entered Peter's house we know Peter the disciple right yeah we do of course you do now He saw his mother in law lying sick with a fever. I can relate to this story. And then it says, He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. See, the leper came to Jesus, approached Jesus and fell at his feet said, I know that you can only if you're willing. You can make me clean or you can save me. And he does it. The centurion comes and says, I know you've only got to speak the word and you can heal my suffering servant. This lady is just laying there. She does not go to Jesus for healing. He brings it to her. I can relate to this because when I got saved, I was not looking for salvation. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I liked my life the way it was. I was a a sinner and I was good at it. I'm not I was not like you guys sitting here. I wasn't even slightly curious. But he stepped into my life, reached out, and touched me, and he changed my life. I love the faith of the other two guys. But I love this story because I lived it. He came to her, reached out and touched her, and it says the fever left her. And I love this part. It says she rose and began to serve him. It doesn't say she sat there for a while until she felt better, it doesn't say that she sat there until she felt that she was ready. It says, when Jesus made her well, she got up and she began to serve him. So my question for you, for those of you who have confessed to have a life change story, who confessed that you have been saved, who confessed that Jesus stepped into your hopeless situation and gave you hope by his cross, those of you who have confessed that you are a sinner and that Jesus alone can save you, are you serving him at all? Because you can go all through this bad girl right here, which I suggest you do. And anybody who has had an encounter with Jesus and confessed Him as Lord, they all get up and start serving Him. There is not one Christian who does not move. But if we look around the American church and our church included, there's a lot of people who've said a prayer, but they've never served Jesus one day in their life. They've never lived with the faith that He marveled at. So my question for you is if Jesus has reached out and healed you Have you got up and served Him or are you sitting in the same place that you say you met Him in? You've heard me say this a thousand times. You can't hide love. You love Jesus. It's going to be evident. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's going to be evident. It's also going to be difficult. But you can't hide love. You can try it as much as you want. But the other thing is you can't fake it either. You can try as hard as you want. If you can't fake love for nobody including Jesus. You can always figure it out. Then it goes on to say. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out spirits with the word. Which will lead us into next week. And he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This is to fulfill prophecy that Jesus was coming. He took our illness and he bore our diseases. But what I wanted to close with, would leave us with is a couple of questions. But I want you to, what I would love for you to do is, you can put your notes up. But I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, because wants us to enter into just a kind of a, a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask some questions. And I want you to ask those to Jesus. The first one is this. Is your sin keeping you from worship? Is there something unclean in your life that is preventing you from worship? Now, I'm not talking about singing, not talking about raising your hand, not talking about praying reading the Bible, but actually worshiping. Because worship is a response to what God has done in our life. It is exalting the name of Jesus for doing the thing that only His name can do, and that is to save. You got sin in your life that's preventing you from worshiping. The other question that I have is Is your faith the kind that Jesus marvels at? Or is your faith the kind that he struggles to find? And it's hard to make the King of Kings struggle. Another question is your life used to serve God? If you confess that you've been healed, if you confess that you've been saved, have you got up and started serving? Have you got up and started living a life of faith? Are you right where you say he left you? And then my last one is, what do you need to be healed of? Obviously, it's not leprosy. I don't think any of you have a high fever but there's some of us we're struggling with something and I don't know what it is but what I do know is that Jesus has the power to heal you of it if you will just fall down at his feet and give it to him it's not a question of if he can but will you ask him if he will He's already overcome every sin on the cross. He can overcome it in your life. And for some of you, that thing that you need to be healed of is your unbelief. And what's going to happen is we're just going to stay silent. Ties going to play over the top. We're going to pray. I'm going to let you pray at your seat. But if you don't want to stay at your seat, you can come up to the altar. It's a good place to pray. I enjoy it. And then Ty is going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to pray and move us to our breakout groups. But don't miss this moment to communicate with Jesus. Don't miss this moment to surrender those things that are keeping you from worshiping. To ask for a faith that Jesus will marvel at. Or to repent from not serving. Or maybe, just maybe, cry out for salvation.